Oh, 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 boy. I love it. I love it. I love it. Little amateur intro music right there. I don't have time to worry about it too much. It's draft week, folks. Kevin Bowen back, another edition of Kevin's Corner Podcast. Boy, uh, I would say usually. It is one of my favorite weeks of the year, and considering everything that we're dealing with right now, it is certainly one of my most favorite weeks, regardless of sport, uh, in the calendar, and that is the NFL Draft. It is here. Thankfully, we all need it, and I'm glad the NFL is sticking to it. I don't care if there's any glitches in any mock draft simulations or whatever we heard about today. Just call the pick in. Call it in. Chris Ballard said it, you know, if it, if all hell breaks loose at his Westfield home and the generator doesn't back up or doesn't work and the backup internet doesn't work, hell, just call it in. Boom. And let's move on. So I'm excited for this week, excited for this edition of Kevin's Corner. Uh, we'll go over some of the Chris Ballard draft notes that he uh, hit on last Friday at his pre-draft presser. And uh, I will give my mock draft a little uh, seven-rounder, seven picks for the Colts. We'll see if any trades are in there, uh, but I'll provide that for you on this edition of The Corner. Uh, Twitter questions per usual. We got a lot over the last week or so, and we'll cover that. And this is probably this will probably be my last podcast pre-draft. We'll come back with a podcast on Thursday night, at late Thursday night. Either we'll be talking about the Colts trading up into the first round, or we'll be, you know, going over the top prospects that are still on the board in uh, – Leading into day two with the Colts having three picks right now at number 34, 44, and 75. So that is how the rest of the week looks for me on Kevin's Corner. Uh, Tons and tons and tons of written content up on the site that um, I want to make sure that you guys know about. And that will be kind of the main source Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I'll probably do some video recaps. Might do an Instagram live on Thursday or Friday as well. I'm just getting in the pre-draft mode. But podcast-wise... Thursday night, uh, late again, late Thursday night, whenever the draft gets over, probably more, more likely Friday morning is when it'll be, uh, when it'll be live. And then, you know, early next week, I don't know, Monday, uh, right now I'm recording this Monday afternoon. So maybe we can stick with that next week, uh, for the, uh, for the old podcast. So that's what the next, uh, seven ish days will look like for the audience of Kevin's corner. Shout out to everybody that tuned into Beers with Bowen, uh, Claws with Bowen, I guess I should call it. But uh, and thank you, of course, to Joey Molinaro. It was great just being back with them, and uh, I just forgot how just easy it is with him in that environment. And I will be happy again to have have a co-host here, hopefully shortly uh, when we get a new producer. But uh, it was great to talk with Joey and just kind of two 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 buddies just talking at a bar or sitting on the couch and chatting. Certainly something I haven't done. None of us have done it in, in, in quite some time, so I hope you guys enjoyed it. I know it was a little bit laggy video-wise, but I um, thought the audio was great, and uh, I think we had, I want to say we had over 1,400 unique viewers, unique watchers, listeners, whatever you want to call everybody out there. If you guys have any suggestions for it, feel free to shoot me a note, um, You know, message on, on Twitter or uh, Instagram for any advice. That might be something that I think we continue to do moving forward, you know. I love doing it in person here in Indianapolis because I love meeting some of you and just doing kind of face-to-face stuff. But at the same time, when you see the amount of people that tune in across the U.S. and across the world, I think it would be really cool to do that on a more routine basis. So uh, 
might be something that we tap into a little bit more moving forward. Before I hop in today's podcast, we do have the Colts offseason program starting up today, the virtual offseason program. So that is obviously all via Zoom and Microsoft Team or whatever else people are using right now, our NFL teams are using. So that will be for the next three weeks. Um, and that will be how things operate for the NFL. Again, from a whatever your roster looks like, 90-man roster. I think the Colts are at 72 right now. And uh, that will be the virtual aspect to of the offseason. They were allowed to send kind of workout equipment. I know some people were like, well, doesn't all these guys, shouldn't they have workout equipment? I mean, maybe not to the degree that you would like for them to have. And also, I think it's also from like a monitoring standpoint. You know, can you hook up some sort of, you know, heart rate monitors or other monitors that, again, you know, gauge what these guys are looking like um, and reacting to the respective workouts that you're sending for them? You know, can you start to track that from a virtual sense with that? So, um Again, that's what the next couple of weeks will look like for the NFL there in regards to the virtual offseason program. And we'll see if there's anything in person from a rookie minicamp, veteran minicamp, OTAs, whatnot, the rest of the way. All right, let's hop into what Chris Ballard had to say last Friday at his pre-draft presser, the annual Zoom call. Um, I guess a little bit of a change of pace for Chris Ballard this year, but we'll cover just a few notes there before I get into my mock draft. And then we'll wrap up with Twitter questions. Um, obviously, I would say the biggest takeaway a lot of people had was C- Chris, you know, commenting something similar to what he said. I guess maybe the early, early part of the offseason or the combine. I can't recall exactly when he said it, but pretty much saying, you know, you cannot force the quarterback position at all um, when you are drafting. And uh, clearly the Colts haven't forced it, if you will, over these last couple of drafts. And um, as a franchise, they haven't forced it at all since 2012, if you want to call it that. And when I hear force, I guess, to me, that is like a premium draft pick. That is like, okay, you're at 13 overall, and you don't have the long-term answer, and you feel like just because you're drafting that high that you have to take one. Or, you know, even a second-round pick. Like, that's where I equate force. I don't know how many, like, day three picks you quote-unquote, or even, like, late day two picks that are at that position that is so important and when you don't have the long-term need, I don't know if I would equate that to maybe force. Um, and I think when you look at what Ballard had to say, and he talked for whatever, 25 minutes, something around there, it's a couple things. It is similar to what I remember him saying back earlier in the offseason about Jacoby Brissett and their quarterback situation then. You know, back in January or whatever, it was like, okay, um, when you're talking about Jacoby in the season he had, it was like, all right, you know, he, he played well, and well, we got off to a 5-2 and two start, and it was a lot better than most people want to admit. But then he'd also throw in the caveat of like, hey, we need better quarterback play. That position needs to be better. Jacoby knows that. Well, then I felt like it was the same way when he was talking last Friday of like, you can't force quarterback, and we won't force quarterback, and we feel pretty good about the situation that we have right now. But we're always going to watch that position, and it is a unique position. You know, I I felt like when he was talking about Phillip Rivers specifically, he used the quote, 
I think the quarterback position is a little bit different than the rest of them. And when you say that, and you don't have the long-term answer at that spot, you're never going to be totally, totally against not taking quarterback in an entire draft. So I don't sit here right now on Monday afternoon and think, all right, based on what Chris Bauer just said, there's no way that they take a quarterback in any of their seven picks. I don't, I, I don't look at that at all. Um, do I think it's as much of a slam dunk as I thought it was, you know, a few months ago, a few weeks ago? No, I don't. But at the same time, um, I think quarterback is very unique. He, he used the example, Ballard himself used the example of the Bears drafting, I guess it would have been Rex Grossman in 2003, and then coming right back two years later and taking Kyle Orton with, you know, a somewhat high pick. I think it was like a first four round, maybe first five round pick. And I mean, that's where you are kind of as a franchise where you don't necessarily know what you have, again, long-term. And two years later, you're coming back and you're spending a somewhat high pick on that position. So I know full well that they don't want to discount Jacoby Brissett and they make it very clear to Jacoby that they still like him and all of that. But I just don't know as a franchise how you can sit here and say, all right, uh, we're good with Rivers, we're good with Brissett. And we feel like River's going to play two years and, you know, maybe we can talk into Jacoby Brissett into being more of a backup here past the 2020 season. And that's how we're going to roll for at least two more seasons. I, I just think that is too big of a risk to take too big of a risk for a couple reasons. One, you're banking on Rivers being whatever, a top five, top 10 quarterback in the league or whatever you think that he can still be. And also him just having a general change of heart, you know, maybe he comes to Indianapolis and he's like, all right, it was good, but I don't know if I want to keep on playing. Something like that, which, again, some people might be like, oh, that's not Philip Rivers. Well, let me know saw that with Andrew Luck. So I don't want to take that risk at that position. And then with Jacoby, you run into it of, like, does he have a change of heart or does he just want to go somewhere else? His first time ever being a free agent. Um, so, again, I, I don't look at it of, like, what he said on Friday totally eliminates quarterback. Does it maybe eliminate it at whatever, 34, trading back into the first round? Some people can look at it like that. I also feel like he's not going to totally tip his hand. That position means too much to totally show your cards, especially in the draft. And if they were going to be hesitant about showing their cards in free agency, they're definitely going to be hesitant in showing their cards in the draft when you're picking as late as you are at 34. So, what I heard from Chris Ballard, again, it's similar to what you heard at the end of the regular season. You can listen to it full well, and it can be like, all right, I see where they really like Jacoby Brissett. And then you can find bits and pieces of like, they think they need to upgrade, and they will upgrade. Same thing I heard on Friday. They aren't going to force quarterback. And again, when I hear that, I'm like, okay, that means like early round forcing. I don't know if you're forcing quarterback in the – fourth round if you're going to draft the quarterback there are some desirable traits that you're um that you're really trying to seek out and when I hear that and I hear the quarterback position is a little bit different than the rest of them you can't ignore that and I don't think they should ignore it here in 2020 all right um I asked him about Malik Hooker Got that, snuck that in right before the end of the um, end of the conference call. And he definitely did not publicly state one way or the other whether they're going to exercise that fifth-year option, which is May 4th. 
Um, I know there's been a bit of discrepancy on May 30th or May 4th. That is May 4th. Um, the Colts must decide if they're going to do that by then with Malik Hooker in that fifth year option on his uh, rookie deal. And Ballard just said, we have a little bit of time. When we get through the draft, we'll sit down and talk about the direction that we're going to go there. I know last year when he was asked, I think during the draft about Ryan Kelly, he said that they would go ahead and exercise that. So I just think that's the difference of where you were at with Ryan Kelly last year and where you're currently at with Malik Hooker. Ryan Kelly had just come off, you know, a pretty good season. He stayed healthy, and I'm talking back in 2018. Um, he stayed healthy for the most part. You know, nothing too catastrophic. And then they felt like when he was healthy, he was one of the best centers in the NFL. And then you go back to what Ballard said at the end of the 2019 season about Malik Hooker. It was, well, Malik was solid. Wouldn't say he was great. You know, had some moments of being really good and thought he tailed off a little bit at the end. So I think it's just a very honest assessment of from Chris Ballard on Malik Hooker back then. And the fact that, you know, two weeks before you're getting ready to have to make that decision on him with that 50-year rookie option, you aren't going to publicly state that. I think just goes to show you just what they think of Malik Hooker right now. I still think they believe that there's good football in there, but it's not just a slam dunk whatever like it maybe was with Ryan Kelly last year. Now, what does that look like? Does that all of a sudden mean, oh, they're going to draft a safety or something like that? No, I don't necessarily think that. But, um, again, I just think that's something to where they want to get through the draft, then make a final answer on that, and uh, move on from there. All right, uh, draft philosophy for Ballard and dealing with all this. Look, the NFL, they just have to figure it out. And and I'm recording this as some of this, you know, whatever news is breaking about. It was a cluster, this mock draft run-through that they just had. Just figure it out. Figure it out. People are going to try and hack it. People are, like, you're the NFL. Have some IT people. Build something out. Only the GMs are allowed in this sort of 32-person and whatever. You only open up the GM's Zoom or whether he can send it a pick when he's on the clock so you don't have a bunch of cluster. And if they make a trade... Now you're opening it up to two GMs in there or something along those lines. Uh, but Ballard did talk about how they got a backup generator. There was an awful storm here in Indianapolis a couple weeks ago. Um, knocked a bunch of power out. I mean, really all across the, the metro area of Indianapolis and um, did a lot of damage down a little bit south of the city. But you got to think that um, that Ballard is going to be you know, hunkering down in that Westfield basement of his, which is a suburb just north of Indianapolis, for those that aren't familiar with the area. Again, backup generator he's got, backup internet he's got in place. And he mentioned, you know, just worst comes to worst, I'll just call in the pick. It was great. Makes a whole lot of sense to me. Um, but he was pretty adamant that, like, the current situation that we're in from a country and, like, really just how the draft process played out over the final month with the lack of pro days, the lack of kind of in-person visits with coaching staffs traveling, you know, to these various college sites that won't change things too much. You know, I I thought he was pretty clear that like, you've got to remember that the draft is beyond just this 2020 season, which I think is probably the proper way to look at it of like, okay, these are not just one year fixes. 
So, you know, you aren't going to go like incredibly, incredibly safe. I still think teams will side a little bit with that safety, but they're going to stick to their core principles of the high character guys and the football intelligence and the football character and those sorts of things are going to be what matters most to the Colts. But when you think back to like, again, the long-term view of it and like, got to keep that in mind, that's where I go back to quarterback and still think that's something that, that that's going to be on, on the board um, for them, or again, should be on the board for them. But again, from a philosophical standpoint, I don't think too much is going to change. And I know there are a couple of Twitter questions on that. So we'll touch on that a little bit later. Final Chris Ballard comment that I wanted to touch on here was him mentioning, I'd like to acquire more picks. And I'm paraphrasing that there. You know, we were about 15 minutes into the call with him last Friday. And the question was, I think, just another question about the logistics of drafting away from home. Or, excuse me, drafting away from, you know, the team facility, which I guess for a lot of these people it is pretty much home. And all of a sudden he gets near the tail end of the question. He just throws in there, to be honest with you, I'd like more picks. And like it wasn't even going necessarily down that road, but he tossed that in there. And I think it's something that makes sense to him on the surface of there is only seven draft picks. For him, that's a small amount. And then at the same time, what about that long-term quarterback need? And I and I think we've got to look at it from those multiple angles. And some people don't like hearing this at all, which I totally hear you out, and I will address that. But let's start with the seven draft picks. That is not a lot. On average, teams, you know, if you look at the 250-plus selections and you literally do the math, divide up, whatever, 256 divided by 32, it's about eight eight selections per team. So the Colts are a little bit on the short end of that. There's no compensatory picks for Indianapolis here in 2020. And then you've got to remember just Chris Bowden in general. He has had, what, 10 picks last year, 11 the year before, uh, I think eight his first year. And yes, you can throw in, okay, well, your first round picks pretty much DeForest Buckner, but I think there's just some flexibility of he clearly wants to throw a lot of darts at that board. And I think when I hear I'd like to acquire more picks, if we start to see the more picks come into 2021, that's where you got to think about long-term quarterback. Because the Colts have this full belief that they won't be drafting, obviously, in the top half of first rounds for the next, you know, X amount of years, but certainly for 2020. Phillip Rivers, you aren't signing him to go seven and nine again, eight and eight again. Okay, so that means if you're drafting it. 20, 22, 24, something like that. You don't have that premium first round draft pick. And then obviously, as we sit here right now, you don't have that additional second round pick. So those are all factors to keep in mind of like, okay, if now you're drafting 24 and you don't have the extra second round pick, how do you acquire some of that additional draft capital moving forward? Last year, we saw them trade from 26 to 34 or excuse me, 26 to 46, they traded way back. Um, and they got that additional second round pick. What would that look like this year? 
I'll get into a couple of those here in just a second. Now, I certainly hear people out in saying, I don't want more picks. It's about quality over quantity. And I get it. It's something that I've been talking about for the past few months, really. You know, when you look at where the Colts are right now, from a 53-man roster standpoint, you're, you're pretty darn good from an overall depth. You know, there are certainly a few positions that could use a little bit of bolstering. But I go back to, like, was it, was it the 2018 draft where you took 11 guys and literally 10 of them would have made your 53-man roster at Deion Gain, not towards ACL. Reese Fountain, I think, was the only one not to make it. Like, that is just an absurd amount. You're not going to have that. Last year, we saw the six-round pick, Gary Green, not make your 53-man roster. We saw Jackson Barton in the seventh round, not make your 53. Javon Patterson in the seventh round. He tore his ACL. I don't think he was making your 53 because you traded away a guy like Evan Bain. So, I think you're just getting to that point where it's like, it's harder, which is great. It's harder for late-round picks to make this roster. So, that's where you go quality over quantity. And I think you're starting to get there. So that's where I look at trade down and I'm like, all right, could you use one more pick? Sure. But I don't necessarily think you have these seven picks round two through round six. I don't look at your six round picks and think they're slam dunks to make the team. Whereas in years past, I would have said, yes, they are going to make the team. So that's where I don't totally fall in line with the whole trade back theory. And I laid this out in an article on 107.5thefan.com on, uh, on Monday. And there are some trade-up scenarios that I threw in there, and we talked about that with uh, Beers with Bowen last week as well. And I'm not ruling those out either if a quarterback were to fall. And especially not only – maybe you only move up two or – well, I guess you had to move up at least two. Maybe you only move up like two or three picks, but you've got San Francisco sitting there at 31. They don't pick again until 120-something, or may, maybe even later than that. Maybe it's like 150. I don't think they, they they pick again until round five. So they're sitting there at 13 and 31. If they draft, you know, whatever, Jerry Judy at 13 or Javon Kinlaw at 13, they come back to 31, they might want to trade back to the Colts at 34. And the Colts send them what? A fourth-round pick. And then San Francisco, San Francisco could trade back again then at 34, and now they're starting to build a little bit more draft capital for them. Whereas the Colts, the advantageous spot of trading up from 34 to 31, if it's not for a quarterback, that to me would make the most sense. If it's not for a quarterback, you're still getting another player on a fifth year rookie contract. Again, first round picks, four years, and then the fifth year team option. That's how the first round picks work. We just talked about that with Malik Hooker a little bit earlier. Now, trade back scenarios, which again is what Ballard said was most likely. I put a couple of scenarios in that article. And for those that miss it, again, check that out. But if not, I'll just go over them here as well. Let's say you trade back with Cleveland. Cleveland is seven spots behind you. So you go from 34 to 41. You would get an additional, I think, right around a fourth rounder for doing that. Seven spots, that's not drastic. You still stay in the you know upper half of the second round. You draft again at, what, 44. And then you're adding a fourth-round pick. And we know Chris Bauer has had a lot of success with various fourth-round picks. 
throughout his time as general manager. So I think that that's one option to look at. Another option would be you totally trade out of the second round. And I threw the Jets, I believe, in there because the Colts have you know done business with the Jets before. But you get all the way out of the second round. So, or j- just that 34th pick because you still have number 44. But you trade with the Jets for a fourth round pick. So you give up number 34 for whatever, 115. And then you get the Jets' second round pick next year. And I know a lot of this value might not add up exactly right. People have various trade value charts and, and future picks is a little bit different than just assigning that current value that you know some of these slots have here in 2020. But what I'm getting at, again, goes back to the building for the draft capital for 2021. So if you moved out of 34, it obviously lessens your trade value for this season. You're adding a fourth-round pick and giving up a second-round pick. That's not good. But you're then getting that additional second-rounder for next year, and that's where, okay, we need to move up for Justin Fields. We need to move up for, insert your quarterback, Trevor Lawrence is probably going to go one overall. I don't know if you're doing that. Uh, Trey Lance, the kid out of North Dakota State, you know, if, if, if he's the hot name. I think that's what you have to start keeping back and, and just think about a little bit. And this will, look, this will obviously look a whole lot clearer come Thursday and Friday uh, once we see any activity, if we do. But I just want to kind of give people a general idea of what that could look like. And these are very, again, loose trade packages that you, that you would throw out there. But I wanted to put that in article form and talk to you a little bit about it um, on, the, um, on the podcast. And I think that's the element of the Ballard call as we wrap that up of like, okay, what is something he said that we shouldn't be surprised about? Trading back. It wouldn't shock me, and I'm still not ruling out trading up either. But I'd say the more likelihood is a trade back than a uh, than a trade up. All right, mock draft time here on Kevin's Corner podcast. Boy, I um I went over positional mock draft on last week's podcast, and if you miss that, that have a listen or check that out. It's an article form up on the site as well. My mock draft, I will give you here for 2020. We will go pick by pick for the Indianapolis Colts, and then we'll get into Twitter questions. And I'm going to start with no trade. I'm going to start right here. Pick 34, so that is the second overall pick in round two. I am saying Jordan Love is off the board, and the pick is Michael Pittman, wide out. Out of USC. USC, one of the more underrated fight songs. Probably not even underrated. A tremendous fight song. And and getting a look at the song, girls, is not a bad thing either when you go to a USC football game. But that fight song is tremendous. Um, Boy, I love that fight song. Yeah, I mean, I'm a diehard Notre Dame fan. But I could sing it. I could hum it. I'm humming it right now. Let's all do it. Get our little... We got our little V. Do they do the V? I believe it is. Um, yeah. Michael Pittman, wide out USC. The numbers speak for themselves from last year. I mean, over 1,000 yards. I think he had 11 touchdowns. Was particularly good against some of 
some of the better defensive teams in the Pac-12. Utah, he had some big games his junior and senior year. That stands out to me. I mean, you look at this Utah defense and the amount of defenders that are going to be drafted on that side of the ball. I mean, Pittman was really good in those games. And I love the size, 6'4", 220-plus. And just the reliability to catch the football and to win the 50-50 balls, I like all that. I think he checks a lot of Colts boxes, team captain, senior bowl, son of Michael Pittman. I think all of that is is really, really important. Is he the, the premier athlete of a Denzel Mims? No. But I think there's a lot of things the Colts would like with Michael Pittman. And so I think it's your most important need. And the value, to me, checks off. I would take Michael Pittman right in that same range. And, um, you know, people have kind of questioned, like, no, no, you're making too much out of the big body wide out, this and that. And, you know, creating separation to me is probably the most important trait of any wide out. But the big body element, I think, helps you create separation as well. And I don't look at this as like, and you guys have heard me talk about this for the past few weeks now. Obviously, Phillip Rivers has had his most success with a big body wideout. And I'm not necessarily drafting for Rivers. I think you need big body wideouts regardless of who your quarterback is. Again, I'm about diversifying the skill set within that position group. And right now, you don't have anybody like that. So I don't care if it's Rivers or next year it's Justin Fields or it's, you know, Jordan Love or whoever. I think having a bigger body wideout is necessary. And so that's where I look at things with um, with Michael Pittman. And it's a group that's underperformed for years now. And you have had the missing element of the big body receiver. And so that's why I'm going with Michael Pittman there at 34. All right, number 44 overall, 10 picks later. Here in round two, I will go with Cole Komet, tight end from the University of Notre Dame. Um, no, I'm not being too biased here. I think Komet is right up there with Adam Troutman is the best tight end in this draft. I really like Colby Parkinson out of Stanford as a later tight end. I'm going to try to throw a few more names in here of, uh, of other guys that I like. But um, you guys know that you know tight end, I feel like, has been a need. I didn't realize this until... I started doing a little bit more research on it. Not only do the Colts have the longest drought of not taking a quarterback in the draft, they have not taken a tight end since Justice Cunningham, Mr. Irrelevant, to end the 2013 draft. They passed on Jack Doyle. Jack Doyle went undrafted. They took Justice Cunningham, ended up claiming Jack Doyle, um, at the preseason cut down. But yeah, Cunningham was the final pick then. The Colts haven't taken a tight end since. Uh, not a whole lot of need to do that, but there's a need now. So I like Komet. I think he's got a chance to be a really good player now, concentrating on one sport. I mean, he was a ba- he was a really good baseball player, pitcher for Notre Dame. And it's tight end you. And I think there's no concern of character, really. And I'm going Cole Komet with pick 44. All right, moving into round three, closing out day two of the draft, number 75 overall. It's time to tap into the most important position in sports, and that means the Colts are taking Anthony Gordon out of Washington State. 
I got a dude that DMs me about Anthony Gordon about once every week, just loving it. And I like a lot of things about Gordon. And he's raw, um, coming from Mike Leach's system. Obviously, he's not like an immediate ready-made guy. I know Gardner Minshew had some success, but I don't need ready-made. I don't need instant impact. I need a guy that has some traits that are difficult to teach and things that you can tap into. And I think Gordon gives you that from a quick release and the willingness to kind of test the field vertically. I like that. Um, and again, at, at the bare minimum, he should be a solid backup for you moving forward. So I have no issue in spending the 75th overall pick on Anthony Gordon and Chris Ballard looking at Frank Reich and saying, remember when there was that job interview? And I said a huge prerequisite for you and every assistant you hire is to develop guys. This falls on your shoulders. You don't need to develop necessarily to be a franchise quarterback. You're not going to put that pressure on them. But there should be some development here that you can tap into. So that's where I'm going quarterback. Again, all about how the mock falls. You know, I, I didn't like anybody necessarily for the value at the quarterback position in round two. And so I'm going Anthony Gordon there at 75. All right, let's move into day three where Chris Bowd has had some really good success, especially in that first draft of his. Round four, pick 122. I'm going with Matthew Pert out of UConn, an offensive tackle there. Um, six, seven, huge arms, long arms. I sound like Ryan Grigson with the Raven Clark back in, uh, 2016, I guess that was, but you know, there are some, you know, Grigson at times is enamored with some measurable stuff. Ballard is too. I think that's a similarity with them. Um, there's not many similarities with them, but I would say that was definitely one. And, I look at Pert as a guy that is coachable, athletic, and long. And I think that's just a solid base of clay to work with for this offensive line. And similar to Anthony Gordon, you don't need him to come in here and be the day one starter. Could he be your first tackle off the bench? Sure. Um, he's played right. He's played left in college. Now, some people say he played at UConn. I don't, I don't know if they, they play football. They certainly don't play it well. But um, I just think that there is something to work with. And that's what I like from the fourth-round pick. Of, okay, can he be your backup? Sure. Is there a potential to develop him long-term? Definitely. And I just think offensive line has got to be addressed in this draft. I think it's got to be addressed somewhat early. I, I could see in Chris Ballard's eyes – it happening a lot earlier than pick 122. If I would have had a few more questions in that Zoom call last week, I would have asked him about the offensive line depth. So um, let's go there. Um, so three picks left. Round five, 160 overall. We are going Clemson defensive back Kavon Wallace. Defensive back is the key there. He's played both cornerback and safety. You guys know that I like that versatility back there. It's a little bit of Marvell Tell-ish in his game. Um, definitely not the same body type as Tell. A little bit stockier. I think kind of Kari Willis mold in how he's built. Um, 
But yeah, he's not going to wow you with the athletic traits, which is why he falls to round five. And certainly the size isn't great, but he's got some really nice short area quickness, which I think is key. And he was a three-year starter at Clemson, team captain at Clemson. That matters to me. That certainly matters. I mentioned this on Claws with Bowen back on Thursday night, but Ashton Davis out of Cal is another DB that I like as well. Um, so maybe you flirted with him a little bit early in the draft, but um, we'll go with Wallace here at round five to, to my first offensive pick, which, again, is something that we can get into here in just a little bit. But, um, yeah, we'll go there. Round six, 193 overall. I believe this is the Evan Bain pick, courtesy of the Miami Dolphins. I am going with another wideout, and we are going to uh, Athens, Georgia for this wideout, and that is Lawrence Cager, the big fella, 6'5", 220, out of Georgia. Played at Miami uh, to start his collegiate career. The numbers will not wow you. The frame will, and there are some athletic traits, size mainly being the one, to Mike Williams, who obviously um, – was a top 10 pick out of Clemson and Phil Rivers had great success with. And I get, that's what you kind of look for in these later rounds. You know, I'm trying to think of, oh, EJ Speed from last year. If you just looked at the pure testing numbers, Speed and Darius Leonard were similar. That's, I think, what you're trying to go for here in round six. You know, two big body guys and, and Pittman and Cager, that might be a little bit too much, but whatever. Um, I think Cager's floor is at least, at the very least, all right, back shoulder, win 50-50 balls, and that's some element to your offense that you can have him on the field for. So that's my pick at 193. Rounding out the 2020 mock draft here at 197 overall in round six. I'm going running back. I'm going with Anthony McFarland out of Maryland. You average 6.8 yards per carry in the Big Ten. I mean, that's notable. I don't care where you're playing. That is a very notable number to me. I get he's 5'8". There's a reason he's fallen to round six. The durability questions are there. I think a little bit of hands questions. But I just think it's a nice option on day three. Be your fourth running back maybe. No guarantee to make the team, but got home run ability. He ran 4'4 at the combine. I think that was the fourth fastest of any running back. So, um, yeah, I like Anthony McFarlane there taking a running back. So right there, Michael Pittman, 34 overall, round two. Cole Komet, tight end, round two, 44 overall. Anthony Gordon, the quarterback out of Wazoo, round three, 75 overall. Gordon, you know, barely started, obviously, and, you know, behind Minshew and I think Luke Falk as well. But then Juco-wise, uh, he, he was a Juco. I think he was primarily a baseball player. So that's where I think there's a little bit of rawness, too. Uh, round four, uh, Matthew Pert. I hope I'm saying that last name right. Out of UConn. The big offensive tackle. Kavon Wallace out of Clemson, the defensive back in round five. And then my round six picks, Lawrence Cager, wide out out of Georgia. And Anthony McFarlane, running back out of Maryland. Um, as all of you rip this to shreds and listening to where you are, I get it. You know, I picked one defensive player. That ain't happening. But this is my mock. I'm going to do it how I want to do it. And 
this is what I'm going with. I don't, I don't love not taking a defensive end. I know that was like seven negatives in that comment, but I don't, I don't love it. You guys know I'm team defensive end. I'm team edge rusher. Um, the Colts, I think, have taken a defensive lineman in 13 straight drafts. And we know Chris Ballard's obsessed with that group. So I'm probably wrong there. But I also just think it's the most depth on the team. Yes, you've lost Jabal Sheer, But I've mentioned before, I think you can fill that with Danico Autry, Tyquan Lewis playing on the, on the early downs out at defensive end where they've had versatility before. And then on third down, it's Kamoko Ture. You hand him that torch. And if he can't get it done, Ben Banigou gets a look. And think about it. You've invested some serious draft capital into that defensive line group. I mean, Lewis, second-round pick. Banigou, second-round pick. Ture, second-round pick. Tyquan Lewis isn't getting on the field on the early downs. It's got to be Grover Stewart at nose and DeForest Buckner, obviously, at, at the three technique. And then Sheldon Day, to me, is kind of your first backup. Maybe Danico Autry. So, again, I, I just want to find a spot for Autry or Lewis on those earlier downs. And I know there's a lot of rotational you know, bodies moving in and out of the lineup up front, and I get that. But you know, Gary Green, you took in the sixth round last year, he didn't have a prayer making the team. <laughs> he, he signed with New England initially. You know, after the old, um, the old roster cut down, he's like, look, the, you guys are too deep there. Or at least just have too many bodies. I'm not even including Al-Qadim Muhammad, who I've always thought plays decent football for you. So I guess what I'm getting at, are you going to draft a fourth defensive end with a somewhat high draft pick? You know, I, I get that Justin Houston is in the final year of his deal and is 31, and I, I, won't, I will not hate defensive end by any means early on. But I'm just trying to give a reason of why I don't think it is that, that pressing. I think you've got some room to try and make up for it. I kind of liked Lewis. Ture has certainly grown on me. Banigou, I'm a little bit indifferent about right now. So I'm not sitting here and saying these ends are like slam dunks, but there comes a point in time where it's like, you got to play them. You got to see what you have. And I think a combination of Autry and Lewis on the early downs, Ture mostly on the later downs, that's what I'm going with. And I, I think we are trending towards this being a more offensive-heavy draft. I think I said a little bit of this on last week's podcast or even on Beers with Bowen, but you look at your last 12 draft picks, last 12, nine of them on the defensive side of the ball. The three offensive guys, Jackson Barton, a tackle who's no longer here, Javon Patterson in the seventh round, an offensive guard or center, and then Paris Campbell. And you, you look at the premium picks. So premium picks to me are rounds one, two, three. Chris Ballard's had 12 of those selections in his three years as GM. Nine of them on the defensive side of the ball. The three offensive guys, two are on the line. Braden Smith, Quentin Nelson, and then obviously Campbell being that third offensive player. And I'm not like ripping Chris Ballard by any means. No, no, no. Don't, don't get that into your line of thinking there. I understand it. He made a tremendous, serious, no bones about it overhaul 
on the defensive side of the ball. Right now, no one's left. No one is left defensively from pre-Ballard. Clayton Gathers is the last one. He's not on the roster. Sheard. No, no, Sheard. Sheard was even a signing of, of, of Ballard. No one. So you've made this huge overhaul. If you look at the pure numbers from just this free agency, you lost a running back in Jonathan Williams. You lost four wideouts. Funchess, Marcus Johnson, Dontrell Inman, Chester Rogers. You lose a tight end in Ebron. You lose a couple of offensive linemen in Joe Haig and Josh Andrews. And yet, no outside running back signed. No outside receiver signed. No outside tight end. No outside offensive lineman. I just think offensive heavy draft should be in store. And I know people will be like, you know, you don't draft all positions. You don't do Clearly, there's been a heavy defensive emphasis over the last three years. Colts haven't drafted a quarterback and a tight end in seven, eight years for a reason. Because they feel good about that group. Don't When you hear best player available, that is the biggest load of bullshit. No, there is a positional element that creeps into every single decision. Every single one. So, yeah, there you go. Rip away. Got questions? You know where to find me. That sounded a lot more hostile than it was. I didn't. I didn't mean it to sound like that. All right, Twitter time. Twitter time. Um, again, I didn't ask for them. I probably had twenty of them saved over. Um, like I said, I might do an Instagram live a little bit later in the week, and uh, we can uh, we can go there with some more questions. And God, I love this week, man. This is awesome. <laughs> Can't wait. All right, C Daily chimes in. When it comes to wideout. Do you think special teams play could be a deciding factor? Guys like Chase Claypool and Michael Pittman were special teams darlings in college. Folks, Chase Claypool's special teams tape at Notre Dame is absolutely incredible. He was – I hate it because Brian Kelly plays his best players on special teams, and it makes me so freaking nervous. And uh, But, man, Chase Claypool is a stud. Um, It's a fair question, but I – I'm not drafting a wideout in the second round to play special teams. I'm sorry. No. If I'm drafting you in the second round, I'm drafting you because I think you're a damn good wideout. Now, does it help your floor? Sure. But I just look at it as a nice bonus. You know, it's the only reason Darius Hayward Bay has probably stayed in the league, you know, being able to play special teams. So, again, it's a nice floor. Like Dontrell Lindman doesn't play any special teams. That, that hurts him a lot moving forward. And it's always hurt him. But I'm drafting Chase Claypool and Michael Pittman because I think they can be a damn good wideout. All right, Patrick, as we are just days away from the draft and with smoke screens and rumors permeating the process, what coach, front office member, or owner gave you the most trouble in finding out the team's intentions? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. How about all of them? I mean, seriously, when it comes to the draft, no personnel person who is credible is going to tell you anything of note. No one. Why would they? Like, I mean, I'm talking even when, when, you know, people that have worked inside that building and I have, like, it's just the draft board. I mean, you see it, you know, some GMs keep it secretive from their own scouts. I mean, there are a couple of things that you, that I know, but 
you're double, triple, quadruple checking them to make sure. Does all this check? Am I being just lied to here? People lie. I mean, you heard the Dave Caldwell story. You know, when they when they drafted Bortles, um, you know, he, I, he didn't even tell some of their scouts and just the Brett Veach story with, you know, how they handle the Patrick Mahomes thing. You know, pro days as well is kind of where people talk. And obviously we didn't have many of them. So I think that impacts some 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 things. But yeah, when it comes to draft, yeah, I I I don't believe a whole lot. If I'm gonna tell you something, it's been triple, quadruple checked. And then I just hope they aren't lying to me. <laughs> All right, Mike. Mike chimes in. Hey Kevin, Colts fan here, surrounded by Patriots fans in Massachusetts. Let's give uh, three seconds to pray for Mike. All right, Mike, good luck out there. Love the podcast. After Ballard's press conference comments, do you think there's any chance the Colts don't draft a QB at all, not even with a late-round pick? Keep up the great content. You know, Mike, like, like I said earlier, the, 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 the thought, the chance has crept more into my mind. Um, I still think at some point they're going to take one. I do, and I know that there's not this like open 53-man roster spot that screams take a quarterback. And you know, if you take one in the sixth round, you probably could try and hide them under your practice squad a little bit. But um, yeah, I mean, I would I would not be a fan of it. You know, if you are in on this 2020 all-in approach, and I'm going to give Philip Rivers every ounce of draft capital that I can, then sure, you don't take a quarterback. And I would not taking a quarterback to me would mean a couple things. Rivers 100% for two years. They really think they can talk Jacoby Brissett into signing, re-signing with them in uh, March. And they they think Chad Kelly can do something. All of those factors would be in there. All right, Dylan chimes in. And Dylan, I apologize to Dylan. He was trying to get this question into Claus with Bowen. And uh, it's a good question. It's one we haven't talked about a whole lot on, but um, we didn't have time to get to it. But he uh, DM me on uh, on Instagram, and I appreciate this. Dylan says, "Is Javon Patterson fully healed and ready to be the top interior backup lineman?" We don't talk about Javon Patterson a whole lot. Um, we do, we should talk about it here, and we will. I think it's a very fair question. I think it's a good question. You know, Patterson was the seventh-round pick out of Ole Miss last year. You um, you took him with the extra pick you got for trading away Hassan Ridgeway. Four-year starter in the SEC, three-year full-time. I think he started a handful of games even his freshman year. Uh, the Colts felt like kind of a center first, you know, a little bit of a shorter, stockier guy. So is he your top interior reserve? He very well could be, which you might not know his name now, but one injury happens up front. He's starting for you for a month. All of a sudden, you're going to know him. He, he uh, tore his ACL last May in the offseason program. So, I, you know, I would assume, again, nearing full uh, clearance. He was around the facility all year long. Uh, again, we haven't – Javon Patterson is not on the most pressing topics to ask Chris Bauer about when you get him in a small um, setting, but – I think the lack of activity we've seen in free agency on the offensive line, that's because they feel good about Patterson. And Jake Eldrenkamp is the other name 
that you should mention in the, in the interior as well. Those two guys. And, and again, if you're going to make me pick, I like the interior line depth better than I like the outside right now. Steven, what do you think Zach Pascal's ceiling is? Do you think he can eventually be a really good number two wide out? Also, what do you think about the Colts drafting Chase Claypool in the third round and using him at tight end in Eric Ebron's role? You know, Pascal, you, you, you kind of forget how young he is. I'm going to look up his age. I want to say he's only 24. 25. He'll turn 26 in December, so I guess a little bit older than I thought. Uh, but, you know, still fairly young. I mean, 25 and a half years old. Um, but, no, I, I don't think he can be a number two on that playoff team. I, I, I like Pascal a lot. But I think on a playoff caliber football team, I think he's more in that number three or four range. That's where that's where I look at things for him. Uh, boy, he made some great grabs last year. Great grabs last year. And I don't want to lose sight of that, but. Just being a realist with what I think quality wideout depth has to look like. You know, Claypool wasn't open too much to the idea of playing tight end at the combine. You know, I'm sure money would, you know, and, and your NFL home is going to dictate a little bit of that. But I would maybe look into it. I mean, Eric Ebron didn't do a whole lot of inline blocking. Boy, how about Ebron on Instagram? <laughs> Was he totally wrong there? Maybe not, but she sure as hell. Probably pissed off all of his former teammates. All right, Brian. Oh, boy. Just reading this. This is going to piss some people off. Since the COVID-19 pandemic has changed how war rooms and player prospecting operate, will Chris Ballard be given yet another built-in excuse if he keeps on drafting players that he misses on? At what point will the excuses cease to exist? Ooh, 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 ooh. Brian, not messing around there. All right, let's let's um, let's try to let's try to look at that question in a little bit of different avenues here. Let's, I guess, start with the excuse with the draft. First off, these teams have zero excuses. They're all playing on the same field. You all got issues with it. You know, it's not like one city's allowed to do one thing and the other city's not. Like, look, you're all playing from an even playing field. You're not allowed to go into your team facility. Pro days got stopped when they got stopped. Top 30 visits got stopped when they got stopped. Like, you're all on a level playing field. There's no excuse for the draft. There, there's not. Um, and this is something that we talked about earlier in the offseason. You know, when Andrew Luck has the retirement, it, it does. It does change how people view the Ballard tenure. And I think it should. I mean, that was just a crazy set of circumstances. Um, but you're starting to get into evaluation time. This is now the fourth season for Chris Ballard upcoming. You've got to look at the raw evidence right now of, okay, what has he hit on in the draft? What hasn't he hit on in the draft? What's your record with Andrew Luck? What's your record without Andrew Luck? And, and, and I've said it before. This team would have to go, you know, six and ten, something like that, and then Ballard is going to be on some sort of hot seat. Yeah, I mean, if you go six and ten, and now all of a sudden, I think their record without luck is, I want to say it's like a, what are they, four and twelve, and then seven and nine. So what's that? Eleven and twenty-one. So eleven and twenty-one without luck. Ten and six with luck. Um. 
Yeah. I mean, if you have a subpar season and you're drafting the top, this, this roster right now is not, this should not be a six and 10 football team. It should not. So um, that seat will get a lot warmer. But at the same time, I, I've said it before. I think Chris Boward and Frank Reich are the right people to get this turned around. It's an unusual turnaround. It's going to take a little bit more time than most NFL circumstances would. And mainly the luck retirement would be that. But um, this, this, this is a critical year. Again, I think they're the right guys for the job. I do genuinely mean that, but this is important. Important offseason, important season coming up. And, and draft pick-wise, let's throw out the 2019 draft. What did Brian say here? Another built-in excuse if he keeps on drafting players that he misses on. I mean, who are the misses, okay? 19, again, put that to the side. You can't evaluate people after one year. 18, absolute hit on Nelson, Leonard, Smith, Hines. Kane, you did not hit on. And it's hard, I guess, that you get into later day three picks, like how big a misses are they? Um, you know, still have questions to be answered on Ture, Lewis, Reese Fountain, maybe Jordan Wilkins. Although I think Wilkins has been okay. 2017, that's where you have some of your biggest questions. Some great hits on day, day three. Marlon Mack, Anthony Walker, Grover Stewart. Um, you know, Terrell Basham bust, Zach Banner bust. And I, I'm saying bust within their fit here in Indianapolis. Quincy Wilson looks like a bust. Uh, Malik Hooker, very up in the air on that. And Nate Hairston, I guess you would label a bust when you get nothing in return for him in terms of that trade pick value. So, yeah. I think that, uh, I mean, that 18 draft, I and mean, that is some incredible hits on Nelson and Leonard for sure, and even Smith, what it looks like right now. So, yeah, Brian, I can't, I can't totally go there. Has it been perfect in the draft? Not at all. Not at all. And this season will get us a better evaluation on the 2019 draft. 2019 is going to be huge as well. And again, we go back to 17, 18, 19. Those drafts mean so much when you choose not to use free agency that much. That's changed a little bit here in 2020. But those drafts take on even more critical evaluation when you don't use free agency as much. Drew, I noticed Ballard talked about Hooker's fifth-year option. What about Ryan Kelly? Do you think they will sign him to an extension after the draft? Yeah, Ryan Kelly, this would be him playing on a fifth-year option. I could, I could see it. I could. I think of all the players on this roster, Ryan Kelly probably deserves an extension the most, and it makes the most sense, I think, in the Colts' eyes. You know, Ballard, at the end of the 2019 season, when asked specifically about, I guess it was Kelly, maybe Hooker, maybe Marlon Mack, and he spoke glowingly about the season Ryan Kelly just had. It sounded like he was going to get contract extension, which some of these guys, I mean, they don't get it till later in the summer. You know, you, you get through the draft, you want to make sure nothing crazy happens there. And I, and I get that some extensions happen earlier, but you know, sometimes you want to get things done in June and July um, and you have some space. What do you got? 20, 23, 24, something around there? Million? I think red around there. Tall. Tall ass. Ballard has openly said he's not a fan, not a big fan of rookie wideouts. Do you think a draft day trade for an established wide receiver is out of the question? Hmm. Maybe a trade back for a wide receiver and a pick. 
Okay, um, establish wideout. I mean, who, I guess. You know, now that Brandon Cooks is out there, um, it's all that when when we are we are recording this right now and the Jaguars are releasing Marquise Lee, um, you know, what, what, what happens on that front? I don't know. Um, you know, a draft day trade up for a wideout, I just can't really see. Trade up for a wideout, I, I can't see. And again, it comes back to those picks. The picks are so valuable to him. Wide receiver is not one of the core beliefs of him. You know, when, when you when you think core core beliefs, um, it's offensive line, it's defensive line. I think to a degree it is quarterback whenever that time does arise to make a significant move there. Um, so I guess I can't really see it. Maybe you trade back for a wideout and a pick. Okay. Maybe. Steven, putting you on the spot, who will be the 2021 week one starting quarterback? Um, I, I mean, I would think Phillip Rivers is pretty even money. I mean, they definitely think Rivers is playing two years. If you're going to make me get like a Vegas odds board, I would probably put Bursette on there. Let's throw Justin Fields on there. Hell, let's throw Trey Lance on there. I don't know. That's so tough. Hell yeah, I'll throw Chad Kelly on there. But yeah, I I, I would, if you're going to put me on the spot, I would say Rivers. Yeah. All right, Fish chimes in here. Do you think it would be smart to trade down for future picks, given the unknown of this offseason and possibly the season? I know it seems crazy, but you can usually get good value on future picks, which could be used to go after a franchise quarterback. Fish, you will certainly have liked what I was talking about earlier. I definitely mentioned that. I will say, like, I don't think given the unknown of, like, the season, it, it, it's fair to talk about, but wouldn't every team have that similar thinking? For the Colts, I just think it matters more for the 2021 quarterback move. So I think it's more for your ladder. Everyone would want to trade back if there's, like, unknown and whatnot. Um... All right, what do we got here? Chris, you hire Frank Wright to develop luck and run your offense. So how does Ballard not see Jordan Love as a lottery ticket and believe in Frank Wright to develop him and his raw skill set? Love the pod. Well, I mean, I guess we don't know that all the way. Like, I think moving out of 13, I mean, Chris said it. That was an easy decision for him because of DeForest Buckner. I really think it had a lot more to do with Buckner. Um, maybe a little bit of quarterback wise, but I think he looked at it as like, all right, we can get rivers for two years. I have this all pro defensive tackle available to me. Maybe down the road, I mortgage some draft and go find that quarterback. Maybe that's what I'll do. But I just think sitting there at 13, he thought it was way too good of an opportunity to pass up with Buckner. He loves to force Buckner. Loves him. Loves him. I mean, combine, a. Combine George Odom, Jonathan Williams. Who are the other people that Ballard's always had crushes on? Um, Jack Doyle, Kenny Moore. If they all had a kid, it would be DeForest Buckner. And how much Ballard loves him. Loves him. So, yeah, I just don't think we know fully that, like, I mean, obviously he doesn't think Jordan Love. There's – 
there isn't maybe the amount of like this is this kid's a top ten pick, no questions asked. I don't think it's like that. Um, but again, I mean, if if love starts to fall, you got to trust Frank Reich to to develop. Andrew Luck had a career coming off of not playing football for how many years? That was argu- argu- arguably Andrew Luck's best season of his career. I, I just think you got to tap into that more. David, move Hines to the slot so the second round running back would make somewhat sense. Eh, I don't really even count Hines as a running back almost. If you look at those games Marlon Mack missed, like Hines' usage goes up a little bit, but not as much as you would think for a quote unquote number two running back. I think if you're drafting a running back, it just means Marlon Mack's future in Indianapolis is up in the air. And I should say, if you draft a running back in the second or third round. To me, not extending Mac does keep him highly motivated in this contract year. But yeah, I'm still not taking a running back. I touched on that last week. Jeff, what teams will have an advantage and what teams will struggle in this unique draft, especially in terms of the GM and scouting department? I would say new GMs will, will struggle a bit that don't trust their scouting department because you got to trust your area scouts, which Chris Ballard does. And, you know, it's interesting. I would say a lot, if not all, of Chris Ballard's area scouts are actually Ryan Grigson area scouts. Some of them are even Bill Polian. I think a couple of them could be wrong on that. But, again, he trusts those guys. I think the Colts will be just fine. I really do. I think think they get it. I think Ballard gets it. He's like, all right, this is the hand I'm dealt. I was dealt Josh McDaniels. I was dealt Andrew Luck and the retirement. Like, you just got to go. And the Colts get a head start on this. December, they have big draft meetings. February, that they do it again. Ballard mentioned Friday their coaches don't travel a whole lot. They don't really go to private workouts too, too much or pro days. So, I think the Colts would be good. Think of dysfunctional organizations. They'll all screw it up. All right. We got a handful more here. Sam, Ballard appears to do specifically well in rounds four to five. Mack, Walker, Stewart, Hines, Willis, etc. Is there anything different Ballard has said he looks for in those later picks, specifically compared to the early ones? As an example, a higher ceiling, but will take a character risk occasionally. Love the content. Thanks, as always. It's a really good question, Sam. I don't recall him ever commenting on that. I guess I could maybe ask him. But... I will say none of those guys were character risks. I mean, certainly not Walker or Hines or Willis. None of them. And if you're looking for a common trend with those names, I would say that they're proven college talents. Like, Mack was 1,000-yard on an annual basis. Walker was a multiple-year starter. Hines was a dynamic player for them. Um... And Willis certainly was a proven player at Michigan State. So, yeah, I think of anything, that's a, that's a trend that I see there. Romulus chimes in. So, would Belichick be interested in Bursette? And if so, what would we have to package to get their pick in, the, in round one? Okay, so you want to get up to 23 where New England is, and you want to give them Jacoby. Um, boy, I would – I mean, I look at Jacoby as like a fourth or fifth round pick. And NFL eyes. And that might even be high praise. I mean, the, the at his peak, like 
after that 2017 season when you felt like there was a lot there, I want to say third round was the highest pick the Colts ever got for him. And that was like a one-time. I mean, they, they did not get many for him. So, okay, you're moving up. What is that, 11 spots into the first round? You give him Bursette. I think you'd have to give him like a third-ish. Maybe more than that. Yeah, maybe more. I, I'm just spitballing there. Matt, listening to your last podcast about Hurts and Eason, I feel like people are really sleeping on Anthony Gordon. Is this the guy that DMs me? I don't think this is the guy. The more I watch tape on him, I love him. I think he fits right perfectly. Extremely accurate. Throws with that anticipation you look for in a quarterback. He really does. He really does. Um, now, part of that is that offense, which I think is a question. The only thing holding him back is arm strength and size. He is only about 6'2". If he had a better arm, I'd have him above love, honestly. They also might be able to get him in the third or fourth round. Yeah, I mean, Matt, you heard me talk about him earlier. Quick release, raw. I I, I think there's some intelligence. I, I think there's a bit of moxie to him. I'm a fan. I'm certainly a fan. Scotty, I live in the D.C. area. The social distancing is still in effect by the time football comes around. Do you see the NFL direct TV easing up on their contract and airing more games to more networks? I want to watch my Colts. Oof. That's a great question. I'll be really curious to see. I mean, hopefully this question doesn't matter in September. But, um, yeah, for you out-of-towners, you might be curious about this. I don't know. TV deals mean so much to the NFL, and they're only going to take on bigger, bigger of an onus if, indeed, fans, whatever, aren't allowed to come or whatever that's, that's going to look like. So that's a good question. Maybe a little bit, but at the same, at the same time, it's kind of like – Supply and demand to a degree. I mean, I love that the NFL has, you know, had the Game Pass and and NFL Network and you know, NBC Sports and CBS Sports are showing the old games. So you would hope that like there's an understanding factor to all of this. But uh, too often, you know, human integrity and human decency sometimes gets uh, put on the back burner for the buck. The buck. We'll see though. Believe believe in humanity. Carter, hey, Kevin, I have a question on Marlon Mack. Do you think that Ballard will draft a running back earlier than we may think in order to keep some leverage on the extension? Maybe third round instead of going later is what I was thinking. I'm not against paying Mack, but only at the right price. Thanks, Kevin. Carter, fair question, but you cannot be doing things out of spite. <laughs> That's spite to me. Oh, watch this. We're going to draft a running back in round three just to force leverage. No, no, no. You do it because you want to. you want to possibly move on, and you do it because of how I have kind of talked about running backs. Eh, let them play out their rookie contract. If they're young, maybe extend them for a year or two. If not, move on. Sounds cruel. Don't have your kids play running back. I mean, seriously, it's just... So, yeah, that's how I um, that's how I look at things. All right, final one, Tanner. Hey, Kevin, got another one for you. I've heard plenty of talk about us possibly moving up in the draft to get a QB. Do you think there would be any other positions Ballard would trade up into the first round for? You had to put money down on one non-quarterback prospect or position. What would that look like? Again, I go back to um, his core beliefs: offensive line, defensive line. And then for me, it's is that tackle falling? One of those offensive tackles? Do they fall? To me, I don't know if there's a defensive lineman. You know, it's weird, Tanner, because we know that those position groups mean so much to battle offensive and defensive lines. There's no open position, starting position, on either of those lines. 
maybe defensive end, but again, I think Autry and and um, Lewis can be the guy out there. So yeah, I don't. That's that's a good question. I would say offensive tackle though, if one of those guys falls. But I'm not holding my breath. I'm not. All right, everybody. Long podcast. Hope you didn't uh, get too bored of me again. I, I I know full well the last month, two months haven't been great with just hearing my voice for the entire time. But this is the hand we're dealt. We're trying to give you the content on a consistent basis. We're, we hope that you enjoy it. Um, numbers have been really good, so it seems like you guys are are craving it a little bit. This week we will have loads and loads of it up on the site. And uh, like I said, late Thursday night, early Friday morning, come back with a with a new podcast. If you missed that trade back stuff, head to the website. That's a little bit more detail. Post that on Monday. I'm going to post them on Jordan Love, potentially trading up for him a little bit later in the week as well. And um, yeah, maybe some Instagram lives, maybe some video recaps after each day of the draft. And <laughs> this week just means too much. It means too much. We all need the content. We all need a break. And uh, I'm here to provide that for you. So we will do that on 1075thefan.com. I'm Kevin Bowen. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this edition of Kevin's Corner. Um, If you have any questions and I missed something, you know where to find me on the social webs. Everybody have a safe week, and uh, we'll be back a little bit later on Kevin's Corner.